Well, I invite you to turn your Bibles to the book of Jude. We want to read the first few verses here again. Many of these themes we're going to be visiting again when we get to the end of the book. Uh, as he rehearses as his conclusion some of what he began with um, to help us draw this all together. But I wanted to uh, get an understanding of verses 1 and 2 as we draw, dive into verse 3 and begin to uh, comprehend what it is that is of paramount concern to Jude in, this, in the writing of this letter. Jude a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ, mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. Let's go, Lord, in prayers. We get our message going this morning. Lord God, we thank you for your word before us, and we pray that as we look into it, that your spirit might guide our thoughts and what is spoken, that it might be in accordance with your word of truth, that it might draw us nearer to you and to an understanding, certainly, but also to a commitment to bring that understanding to bear in our lives. And Lord, we pray that you might find ready hearts to receive your truth, not only to understand it, but to accept it as authoritative for us. And then, Lord, we do also, as always, pray that you might guard us from introducing that which is not in your word into this message, into our thinking, into our lives, that we might be preserved from the world to your Son, Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Well, we have taken some diligent effort to fully comprehend the depth and breadth of the words that Jude has used to describe, first to describe his audience, the recipients of the letter, and we hopefully can place ourselves into that description. Uh, and then secondly, of what his desire was for all of those that he is writing to that these things that they have might not just be sufficient, but that they might be multiplied in their life, that they might have mercy, peace, and love. Uh, and that's not certainly a definitive list. That's not the end of all that he desired for them, but it is uh, in, the, in the terse way in which he speaks, very short and to the point uh, is Jude's perspective. Uh, he wants these as the paramount elements in their life. And that is not to... Uh, uh, steer away from the rest or to uh, uh, minimize the rest, but rather to see that these uh, incorporate so much of the rest of the Christian experience. And so we have these laid out before us. We, in our Bible reading in, in Ephesians 4, are going to see these almost exact same themes brought forward and again with a, a, a similar conclusion and that conclusion, when we look at these three words to describe the audience and the three words of what we want for the Christian community, what is it that we desire, these things we multiplied in you, uh, have some, a conclusion. They have uh, a, a foundation and a unity about them. 
And uh, the way that Jude is going to describe that is in verse 3. He is going to describe it in two words, uh, two different phrases, I should say. Uh, he's going to describe it as your common salvation and, as for, uh, and also as the faith. And he's going to use these two words to describe you uh, and us and him. He is using uh, first person plural, our common salvation, uh, the faith that we all have. And we want to investigate. This is really what he wants to write about. He really would love to just expansively talk about um, salvation. And you can almost see it in the words that he used in verse 1. These are the themes that he really would love to, to, in, to discuss with them. We've taken some time to, to investigate them that Jude didn't have. Whether there was limits on his time or... Uh, he, is, he just felt a need to very quickly respond to what was going on in the church. Whatever it was, he spent no time other than just to list them there uh, that we have spent time to, in, to uh, investigate. So now we come to his declaration that, yes, he really wanted to write about the common salvation. And I really just want to pick up on one word here and run with it again. I know I've been doing that, and I'm going to do it a lot in this Study. I think I told you that many times. I'm going to be jumping out of Jude into a lot of other texts. And I want to really deal with the idea of a common salvation. This is not just a haphazard word that Jude uses. I believe it is very, very purposeful that he uses the word common to describe our salvation. And again, we're going to connect the dots here around the scriptures of what we mean by that. First of all, let's talk about common doesn't mean. Common does not mean base. It does not mean ordinary. That is not how he's using this word. It is not like uh, just common people. Uh, but rather, it is referring to something shared in common. So we're not degrading salvation. It's just, it's just common. It's just every day. Uh, no, that's not what he's saying. He's not using the, that word in that sense at all. It is not intimated by the Greek, and, and it is just our English usage of that word has changed to refer to just mundane, ordinary things. And that is not what he's describing our salvation as, mundane or ordinary. There is nothing mundane and nothing ordinary about our salvation. So get that concept of the word common out of your thinking when you come to his description here. But there is the more traditional teaching of the word common, which is not just everyday ordinary, but rather it is shared among all. It is a common salvation. That is, that it is universal. Not in its application, but in its availability. And so he wants to talk about what this salvation that we all share. That Jesus Christ died for the world. That God so loved the world. And we talked about the love of God several weeks ago and that it was universal. Uh, and yet its benefits are for those who believe um, because you must accept that love for it to really be beneficial to you. Although I still believe the whole world has benefited by um, his, what we call uh, common grace. That is that everyone experiences some of God's grace. The rain falls on the just and the unjust. Um, they have food. They have the sunshine. They have all those things 
that uh, we enjoy of this earth. Um, they also have the uh, benefit of the universal work of the cross. And that is to deal with original sin. That everyone who had sin in Adam has righteousness in Christ. That is the inherited sin that you receive from Adam you uh, are not going to be condemned for. When you go to the great white throne judgment, where the sinners are judged, they aren't judged for Adam's sin, for Christ covered that for all men. And in Romans, Paul describes that, that all became sinners in Adam, so all are righteous in Christ. And so there is a common reception of grace. And that is why you go to the great white throne judgment, you will not find them talking about the sin of Adam. They'll open up their books and they'll look at your sin. Your works. You'll be judged according to what you have done. And uh, that is an important doctrine of the commonality that is the universal experience of the work of Jesus Christ. And uh, we, because of that, we know that those who die before they are able to sin by action, by commission or omission, uh, are covered by the blood of Christ. And so that's why we know that the preborn that are murdered in this country every day, um, that the, uh, those that die before an age of, uh, of sin are covered. And that's why we know they will be in heaven. We have that comfort, that assurance that everyone touched by Adam's sin is touched by Christ's righteousness, by his sacrifice. Um, the alternative is that we have to do one of two things. If we don't have that doctrine well in place of the commonality the universal, uh, universal benefit of Christ's death. We have one of two things we have to do with infants that die. We either have to do um, something like the Catholic community, that uh, the Roman Catholic community, that declares that if you don't get these certain rites performed upon you, that you will go to hell. That, and that is their fundamental position, is that, the only children that are going to be in heaven are the ones that their parents baptized them uh, very early. And that's why it's so necessary for them to get that sacrament and uh, covered, to cover original sin, which nowhere in the Bible does baptism cover original sin. It is never taught and never communicated at all. The alternative, either you have all those children in hell, um, which is taught in, by some, the alternative is that we then make children without sin at all. And that is a growing movement. Uh, it is also the position of the Eastern Orthodox Church. So you want to know what's the difference between Catholics and the North Eastern Orthodox when they had the West-East split um, there. The Eastern Orthodox believe that men are basically good until you sin. And I've encountered that by some teachers that say, well, no, you are innocent, you are sinless until you actively sin, which is probably a little younger than you realize uh, but uh, so when you make that choice to sin and be in rebellion, then you become a sinner, and so you are sinless until then. I've encountered that among not only Eastern Orthodox, that is their, their foundational truth, that you are um, born basically good and that you become sinful, uh, that you are innocent in your birth, uh, not uh, carrying any sin from Adam at all. Uh, and that then, uh, and again, that's a denial of Romans. It says, because of Adam's sin, all are sinners. 
And so they bring the commonality and they rob that common expression, that universal reception of deliverance for our original sin by saying original sin doesn't exist. And I have been hearing that a lot in Protestant circles, in Baptist circles even, and had to counter that um, with some even who were in our church and hearing it on the internet radios and things like that. And no, this is not a biblical doctrine. That is nowhere in Scripture. Uh, David makes it very clear that he understands that we are born in sin. Uh, and all the way through Scripture, we understand that. And so there one facet of commonality in terms of the work of Christ on the cross is to cover original sin for all men. But that's really not being, what's being referred to here in Jude. But I want to cover all those bases, what commonality is not, what it can include. But now, how is Jude using this word? And he's using this word to talk about something that we all share, who have trusted in Christ, we all share the same salvation. And this is very important, because this was error that had been brought into the church very early and is still prevalent today. What many false teachers, remember, Judas is going to have to say, I have to exhort you to contend for the faith um, because people have crept in unnoticed. They're teaching you wrong things. And we're going to investigate some of those, and we're going to start today. So one of the things that we're going to find uh, is a evidence of false teaching is that it makes salvation not a common experience among believers. That is, it's not shared. That there are ways that some of you can get better salvation than others. That there are tears, there are layers uh, within the family of God. That there is that there is um, a hierarchy, if you will, and that salvation isn't a common experience but that some have it on one level, some have it on another level, some have it on another level, and some who claim it, you really don't have it at all, they just think they do. And all of these errors that we're going to see in Scripture, we're going to go back into the epistles and find where Paul has to deal with them one at a time, and we're going to extend that now into our day of how do we see it being expressed today? This same idea of making something that's supposed to be common exceptional. That is, that it's only for those that have the inside track. Well, let's look at some of these. We read um, in Ephesians, but I want to go to Galatians. That was the other passage I wanted to read in this morning in our Bible reading. But let's go to Galatians, if you will, chapter 3. The first group that we're going to deal with, and it's not necessarily chronologically the first group. Um, the Chronologically, the first group we would have dealt with would be um, in Romans. Uh, we're going to get there in a little bit. But I want to deal with this group because of their uh, prevalence in the early days. And uh, these were the Judaizers. And these were the people, we would call them legalists. These were the people who say, well, here is your special access to God. You have to do it through the law. That it isn't, your salvation isn't a common thing that is available to all men. It's only available to those willing to keep the law. And those, that was the Judaizers' message. They come to you with the gospel of Christ in one hand, but that hand is behind their back. What they have in the first hand offering to you, if you want this back here, you're going to have to accept the law, and that's what they're holding forward first. 
once you accept the law and you try to keep the law, the Old Testament, now we can bring you the gospel of Christ. And that's essentially what the Judaizers were teaching. And so Paul here has to address them and look at the terminology and the manner in which he's going to address them. This is a lengthy passage, but please bear with me as we read. Beginning in verse 8, we could, we could back up and read all of chapter 3, uh, but I'm going to start in verse 8. It says, And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, In you all the nations shall be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. But that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident. For the just shall live by faith. Yet the law is not of faith, but the man who does them shall live by them. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. That the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Brother, I speak in the manner of men, though it is only a man's covenant, yet if it is confirmed, no one annuls or adds to it. Now to Abraham and his seed, where the promise is made, does not say unto seeds, as is of many, but as of one, and to your seed, capital S, who is Christ. And this I say, that the law, which was 430 years later, cannot annul the covenant that was confirmed before by God in Christ, that it should make the promise of no effect. For if the inheritance is of the law, it is no longer a promise. But God gave it to Abraham by promise. What purpose, then, does the law serve? It was added because of transgressions, till the seed, who is Christ, should come to whom the promise was made, and it was appointed through angels by the hand of the mediator. Now, mediator does not mediate for one only, but God is one. Is the law then against the promises of God? Certainly not. For if there had not been a law given which could have given life, truly righteous would have been by the law. But the scripture is confined all under sin, that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. But before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law, kept for the faith which would afterward be revealed. Therefore, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Do you see the force of this? He's dealing with an error coming into the church saying you've got to keep the law. Then you can find Christ. It is not a common availability of the gospel. First, it is only available to those who are keeping the Jewish law. And Paul says, okay, you want to claim that? Let me show you how easy it is to prove you wrong. Let's go to Abraham. Why go to Abraham? Because he was before the law. The law didn't exist. There was no Mosaic law. So how did he get saved? Was it by keeping the law or was it by faith in the promises of God? Well, he says it couldn't have been by keeping the law because there was no law. So you who want to say, do this, do that, here's my whole list, now 
once you follow this list, I'll give you the gospel. Once you keep the Jewish law, get circumcised, do all those things, now I'll give you the, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus Christ. Well, if you want to hold that position, how do you account for Abraham? Was he a believer or not? And you remember, he's speaking to Judaizers who are all glory and everything Jewish. And he says, okay, let's go to your forefather Abraham, where it all started. What law did he keep? Well, he didn't keep a law. He simply believed God. And that belief that he believed God's promise, that he would give him a capital S seed, meaning Christ, so he believed in Christ, was credited to him for righteousness. It wasn't because Abraham did all these things. He did those things after having faith to believe God. He was moved to obedience by a faith that trusted in Christ. And so obedience comes after the gospel, not before. So what is our message? Our message is, here's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what is behind that? Nothing. But once you've received Jesus Christ, you're now a new person. How should you then live? Not according to the law, but according to the Spirit of God moving in you. This is why he says walk not, he doesn't say walk in the law, he says walk in the spirit. Because you're going to live a life that is above the law, that is well beyond it. And so instead of worrying about murdering people, you're going to be worrying about hating people. Not worrying, but you're going to avoid hating people. Why? Because the love of God is multiplied in your life. And so that person who has made themselves your enemy, you will never make them your enemy, for you will pray for them, you'll seek to reach them because you will love your enemies. Because God died for them, loved them. And so I need to love them. So I have a different attitude. So murder is the least farthest thing from my mind. Because I'm concerned about loving everyone, and we know that hate has to precede murder. And that's why Christ in the Beatitudes says, you have heard it said, um, don't commit adultery. I say, don't lust after a woman. Now you're on a whole different level. We're way before adultery. Why? Because if you're going to love someone, well, that's not expression of that. And so we find that we are called to a higher level of righteousness, but that's not to get the gospel. That is after we've received the gospel because we have the Holy Spirit in us. We have experienced the love of God. Now we can express that to others. We have no enmity between us and God. We have the peace of God. And now we can show that to others and have it with others. We have the mercy of God in our life that has forgiven us and we can show mercy and forgive others no matter what they do to us. Yeah, I just tied that into Jude chapter 2. Did you notice that? Okay. So make sure. So this is the experience but to receive the gospel, Paul says, you don't have to keep the law. These Judaizers are wrong. These false teachers have come into your church and they're disrupting you. And he says, you foolish Galatians, they're bewitching you. To say, well, first you have to be this. And by the way, I've seen this in Baptist churches. I have seen people turned away at the door at a Baptist church because they weren't dressed appropriately. And by that, I don't mean that they are coming in mostly naked. They just had jeans on. And they were turned away. Go home and get dressed something nicer and then come to church. Jeans and t-shirt are not appropriate. What are we communicating? Before you can have the gospel, we're hiding it behind our back 
First, you have to keep our set of rules. You have to get a haircut, get a bath, dress properly, and be a little righteous. No, the gospel comes first because there is no exclusivity. The gospel isn't just for those who dress nicely. The gospel isn't just for those who have the proper attire, who have a proper attitude. No, the gospel is for everyone. It is common. It is for all men. And the Jesus says, no, it's only for those who keep the law. Keep the law first, then the gospel. And Paul says, it can't be. And he goes right to Abraham and says, no, it is only by belief. And that's why Paul concludes this chapter by saying it's neither Jew nor Gentile, one male, female, slave free, rich, poor, that's for us, slave free. Uh, whatever your condition, that's not a matter of this. You are all one in Christ Jesus. So these Judaizers, what do they do? They come in, they want, why do they do it? Because it strokes the ego of man. What you're going to find is this is what false teaching does. And whenever you encounter a teaching that strokes your ego, beware. Because this is what false teachers do. They want you to feel good about yourself. I mean, come on, let's just be honest. We all want to be special. And that's what false teachers offer you all the time. Here, Jude says, we're common. There's nothing special about one group of us compared to another group of us. We have a common salvation. We all share the same salvation. We are all sinners saved by grace. We have all this in common. But false teachers come and say, no, you're special. The Judaizers, those people who want to keep the law, they're the ones who can receive Christ. Well, I can then boast in that, can't I? Why are you Christian? Well, I kept the law and God saw fit because I was keeping the law so well to show me Christ. Stroke the ego. Applaud the work of him. You're going to find this consistently in all these. And so we have him say the law isn't it. The law was a tutor. Faith is what it is. And all the law was there was to point to our sins so that we could understand our needs so then we could repent with godly sorrow. But all of us are sons of God. There are not two classifications of Christians. They don't exist. And as soon as we start imposing those on any level, and we're going to talk about several modern levels that we impose those and stroke the ego of men, very common still today to do that. We do falsehood to the gospel. Jude says you have a common salvation. Let's look at another passage. Let's uh, go to Romans 4. We talked about Judaizers. What is the root of Judaizers? Are Jews. They want, they, they're excited about their lineage, their birth. I was born a Jew. Romans chapter 4. Let's look at what Paul has to say about this. And again, he has to go back to Abraham. But let's just, again, this is a little bit of a lengthy passage. I'm going to jump around a little bit. Let's start in verse 5 of Romans 4. It says, But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness, just as David also describes the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from the works. 
Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. Does this blessedness then come upon the circumcised only or upon the uncircumcised also? For we say that faith was accounted to Abraham for righteousness. How then was it accounted? While he was circumcised or uncircumcised? Not while circumcised, but while uncircumcised. He goes all the way back and says, not only was Abraham's faith accounted for righteousness before the law, it was even before the one commandment to circumcise. Abraham hadn't received that yet. That didn't come until his kid. And so he was still in the state of blessedness of being credited for righteousness because he believed. He hadn't even been circumcised yet. And so Paul's addressing these Jews in the Roman church and says, don't you get in your high and mighty? And he's dealing with this all the way back into chapter 3 and he says, you know, who do you think you are? And, and all have sinned. You're not special. All have sinned. We have this common condition. And so uh, we press on. It says he received the sign of circumcision, verse 11, a seal of the righteousness of the faith which he had while still uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all those who believe. Though they are uncircumcised, the righteous might be imputed to them also. And the father of circumcision to those who not only are of the circumcision, but also those who walk in the steps of faith which our father Abraham had while still uncircumcised. This is the promise that he has made. And so we find that it isn't by circumcision. It isn't by some ritualistic act. And let's just insert there, it is not by some ritualistic act of baptism. Just because your parents splashed some water on you when you were an infant doesn't mean you're a person of faith. Just as much as, just because your parents circumcised you as a baby doesn't make you any closer to God. Paul says, that's not what this is all about. It is, there's no inside track that your parents can do to bring you to God. You must come to God by faith. And the old adage is God doesn't have any grandchildren, only children. You can't go there by your parentage. Now, are your children and my children favored? Well, we might think that, that, well, they have a favored position because they have access to the truth. But is that sufficient? Does that really give them favor before God? No. I have seen many, many children who have had full access all their childhood and have rebelled against it when they could. You see, access doesn't, and this is very common in a lot of covenant theologians and among the Amish as well and a lot of other groups that, well, we give them access and then we let them go off and do their rebellion and then they'll come back and make a decision and, and they have that attitude. Well, they'll just come back if they're Christ. But, we have to, but because of our parentage, we believe that because we baptize them and all these things, they will come back. No. They must receive it by faith themselves. And the Jews here were relying upon their lineage, their parenting. That, well, my parents were Jews. I was born a Jew, circumcised eighth day. I'm, I'm Jewish as Jew can be. And, and Paul says, so what? So was I. Didn't help me. The Jews by birth do not have an inside track on salvation. Neither do the children of church members have inside track on salvation. It is common. 
It is open for all men. Do they have privileged access? Yes. Does that equal salvation? No. Let me ask you, who in Jesus' time had the greatest access to truth of the Old Testament? Who? The Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes. Um, did that help them get closer to God? Did that help them accept the Messiah when he come? No. Do not think that because your children have memorized verses and know how to act in church and have the right verbiage, that that equals a relationship with God by faith in Jesus Christ. It does not. Every Pharisee could quote the scriptures. They were well-versed. They were well-exercised in how to behave themselves in the temple. But they were the enemies of Christ. Do not think that by raising your kids a certain proper way that that guarantees they will have to be saved. I've had to do the funerals of children's of church members who come to me and says, oh, you preached like they weren't Christians. I said, well, there's nothing in their life that showed me that. Well, here's their baptismal certificate. Well, whether it happens when they are eight days or, I don't know, when they do the sacrament of baptism in the Catholic Church, however old they are, or whether they do it at eight or ten or twelve, if they're doing it because it's just a thing to do, because mom and dad want them to do it, it means nothing. When they are 20, 23, 28, 27, and, oh, he was in his 30s, no, 40s. And they're living in complete rebellion against God. We do not stake our claim on something that happened that never was born in their life, never was evidenced. So no, your, your lineage does not get you closer to God. If anything, it condemns you more because you had the access and didn't respond by faith believing. Whom did Jesus condemn the most in his ministry? The Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, the priests who knew and should have recognized and humbled themselves and bowed down to him and instead they fought him and rebelled against him and he, they are condemned the greatest who are the ones that Christ personally condemned? Those who come to me and say, Lord, Lord. He says, I don't know who you are. I don't know you. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. It is a sin to sit there and say, and to attribute faith to those based upon lineage. Well, they're my kids. I raised them right. I raised them in church. They can quote Bible verses. They have Word of Life awards. They have, in my case, growing up, Awana awards. Well, you can stack those all up and all they're going to do is add kindling to the fire of hell because they are not going to save you. You are only saved by faith. Abraham was not saved because of his parentage, nor were his children, his children saved because of parentage because he had a couple of boys, didn't he? Did they all walk with God? Were they all blessed according to the promise? Did they all receive the promise? No. There was a child of the slave woman. There's a child of the free woman. Paul and, and he, the author of Hebrews develops those whole ideas. Let us understand that lineage is not, but yet we hear that. We hear that kind of conversation. And I find it fascinating to see churches cropping up that... Um, Oh, they're going to glory in, their, in Jewishness. They're Judaizers, basically. 
Um, but whether it's by your lineage or by, by your actions, and oh, we know the right way to pronounce um, the Tetragrammaton. And if you don't know what that is, it's the Y-H-W-H. It is the name of God that we lost its pronunciation because the Jews thought it was too holy to pronounce when God gave it to him as his personal name. And so it is translated in your Bible, Jehovah, which is one of the um, proper pronunciations of it. But they, oh no, it's Yahweh. And if you don't pronounce it right, you got the wrong God and you don't have the, the inside track like us. They're making the gospel exclusive when the Bible says it's common. It is not only for those that can pronounce it the way you think it should be pronounced. The fact is, we don't really know how it should be pronounced. And if you're going to pronounce that name, Yahweh, then you're going to have to pronounce a lot of other names differently in the Bible as well that are built off of that same lettering. Jehoshaphat. Now you have to call him Jehoshaphat. You know, you've got to change every name that's built off of that. And the fact is, is that that's not what's critical. It is the one true and living God, Father of all. And they don't want to call Jesus by his Greek name. They want to call him by his Hebrew, Yeshua, Joshua. You see how we start stroking our egos? I have inside track. And that brings me to the third group. And those were the Gnostics. They have secret information. Secret truth. And those had to be dealt with as well by the authors of Scripture. And I think Hebrews addresses, or I'm sorry, Ephesians addresses that uh, that we read earlier in Ephesians chapter uh, 2 and chapter 4. And, and let's go there. All these are attempting to make Scripture exclusive, or the gospel exclusive instead of common. Let's look at chapter 2 first. Let's look at chapter 2, verse 14 of Ephesians. We've read this before when we studied peace, so we should be familiar with it. It says, For he himself is our peace, who has made both one, has broken down the middle wall of separation, and abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is the law of commandments, contain ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. He came and preached peace to you who are far off and to those who are near, for through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. And he goes on to talk about verse 19. Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. One. You're one building. You all have a place. He develops that in the scriptures that we are reading, that he um, have one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God. There's one body. There's one spirit. And there is not this secret information. There is not this inside track. And the Gnostics who believed in Gnosis, the, the GNO of the Gnostic, Gnosticism, uh, the Gnosis was the mystery, the secret information. They had knowledge other people didn't have. 
So he called them the Gnostics. He says, well, if you don't have our secret information, you can't get the gospel. So again, the gospel is held behind their back. And what's forward is you have to have the secret knowledge before you, Christ can do anything for you. And the gospel becomes exclusive. It's exclusive. It's not for everyone. It's only for those who have access to the secret information. And Gnosticism went rampant through the church. And Paul says, no. Our peace is in Christ Jesus alone. This is what makes us one body is the work of Christ. There's no secret information. And all through Ephesians 1 and 2, he talks about the grace of God is by faith. I mean, these are passages we are, that are dear to us. He says, the, the promise of God is for everyone who believes. It is for all. All you have to do is believe and you get the whole package. And those who want to tell you that if you don't have the secret knowledge, you don't have, you don't really know what salvation is like. And you go, oh man, I, I must be, I'm missing out on something. Why? So those who have it can feel more important, uncommon, exclusive. We are not an exclusive club. There's nothing exclusive about us. Anyone out there walking the street can receive Christ just like you did and must receive him. They don't have to have more knowledge than they don't have to have more keeping of the law. They don't have to look different. They don't have to change. None of that. They, there is no... Entry requirement other than believe in Jesus Christ. We have a common salvation. It is for all men. And it treats all equally. Jew, Greek, slave, free. Go through the passages and you'll see them dealing with Judaism, lineage, Gnosticism. And here Ephesians has to deal with it. He says, listen, we are all one in Christ. And we go into chapter 4 and what is he spoke of? And it's interesting how he draws in many of the themes that we saw there in Jude. Uh, and... Uh, in verse 13 of chapter 4, it says, Till we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to a measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So are prophets and teachers and all that more important? Do they have some higher level of, of salvation than anyone else? No. Now remember who's writing the book of Jude. Who is it? What's his relationship? This is the half-brother of Jesus. He grew up in the family with Jesus. Did he have an inside track? No. He had the same salvation. He had to come to God through faith in Jesus Christ. And maybe it was even a little harder for him because he grew up with Jesus. That's <laughs> what he said about the people of Nazareth. It's like, you don't want to honor a prophet because he's from your own hometown. Um, but he still had, he says, this is common. This is, this is what we all have to do. There's no special access. There is no... Um, a fast lane. We all have to come to Christ the same way. There is no window. You all have to come through the door. Every one of you. The same door. Jesus Christ. 
And so the Gnostics come in and say, well, you have to have the secret knowledge and, and you have to, uh, and the mysteries, you have to understand the mysteries. Well, no, the, the, the mysteries that Paul talks about are really things that are to be revealed. And that's what he says, I'm here to reveal, not to hide. You don't have to have some kind of special knowledge. Why does God give you pastors? Why does he give you teachers? Why does he give you apostles, prophets? It's not because they're more important. It's because they're there to bring you all to their level. How do they get to their level? Well, sometimes it's just a matter of time. Sometimes it's about training and instruction. Um, but I don't have more of the spirit than you do. I don't have more access to God's word than you do. I have the privilege of spending a little more time in it maybe than you do. I've been trained in it maybe a little longer, but that's just time and effort. That's not privilege. That's just time and effort. You can get there, spend the time, spend a little effort. Spend a little effort. And I love seeing that when it happens. That's why I love getting you guys involved in ministry because now you're kind of forced. I've got I to prepare a lesson this Wednesday night for club. I better study this stuff. And suddenly you find something. I got a science school lesson for this Sunday. I got to study this stuff. Uh, that's why. So, and by the way, please view your parenting that way. You need to teach your kids. And if you don't know it yourself, how are you going to teach it to them? You should be teaching your kids at home the truths of God's word. And if you don't know and live them, you're going to have a really rough time teaching it to them in any substantive way. And no, watching VeggieTales is no replacement for the truth. So it moves us. I have responsibility. I have to raise my children to know and love the Lord. And I, gotta, I, 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 need, I have responsibility to give them that access. Um, just like I have responsibility to teach. And so I have to study. I have to prepare myself. I have to go through this. And... Nothing special. Did you realize that Bill this morning in Sunday school said that there's nothing special about your pastor? Well, that's hard to hear. I'm sitting in the nursery and go, what? He actually said that in Sunday school this morning. If you weren't here, you missed it, man. He really just... Pfft. You know what? We have a common salvation. We have the same Holy Spirit. We have the same scriptures. There really is nothing special about any of us. We have a special God who has done a special work for us through his special son for all of us common folk who are all in the same boat, sinners who need to be saved. There is nothing special And so what is the goal of a good pastor? Isn't to be more spiritual, it's to grow his church to all be one in the faith and all have the knowledge of Christ. That That's common. That it's the shared experience of everyone in the church. That we're all growing in the Lord. That's his purpose. That Christ's mercy Peace and love is multiplying in all of us, not just in a few of us with special knowledge or special access. And this brings me to a, another category of special that's out there. Turn to the 1 Corinthians. 1 
1 Corinthians chapter 12. Here's, and it's dealt with in, in Ephesians 4 as well. I could have dealt with it there too. Um, he talks about the gifts and they're there for the body. But here he expend, expounds on it quite a bit more in 1 Corinthians 12. Let's pick up in verse 13. Oh, let's go to verse 12. 12, 12. Oh, I want to back up. My time is short though. Um, verse 11. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. All right, so yes, we have a diversity of gifts. So you all are unique. That's different than being special. You are unique. You have different abilities and gifts than me. That doesn't make you special and me special. It makes us unique. God is special. The Spirit is special. All right, so let's keep going. For as the body is one, has many members, but all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and have been made to drink into one spirit. What was going on in the Corinthian church? I speak in tongues more than you guys. I have the gift. That has been revived in our lifetime. Yes, the charismatic movement is a recent one. Or we have revived it. And oh, we speak in tongues. And you have not really, you have a second class salvation if you don't have this gift. Well, I think Paul's pretty specific. That's exactly what the Corinthians were saying. That's the error that came into Corinth. And Paul says, this is wrong. This is ungodly thinking. Your gifts are there to make you unique so that you can fulfill a role within the church to benefit not you and not to exalt you, but to humble you and to benefit the church and draw them to God. And how dare you parade around and declare your gift greater than anyone else's. You are not special. You're common. We have a common salvation shared by everyone. You may be unique, and some of you are really unique, okay? But you're not special. I'm sorry. I'm not sorry. I'm glad to tell you, you are not special. You're just a common Christian. That means you're just like the rest of us. Same spirit, same truth, same salvation, same way. There is nothing. I don't have anything that you can't have and don't have. I don't have any of that. I am different, I'm unique, but I'm not a special person. There's nothing in me that's any good dwell, except what God has put there. He gets all the glory because we're just common. We're, the, we're, we're, the, we're shared. We're all the same. And so your spiritual gifts do not make you special. You want spiritual gifts? Have one reason, he says here in, in 1 Corinthians. We don't have time to get into that. He says, your one gift is for the edification of the church. It's to build others up. It's not for you. And shame on those that come in and try to make you feel like a second-class Christian because you don't have some certain gift. That's exactly the error of Corinth, and it's exactly the error of the charismatic movement today. We have all of these around us today. They all stroke the ego, don't they? Oh, I have the secret knowledge. Oh, and by the way, that is, if you talk to, I had a conversation with a Mormon man 
in, in Salt Lake City, Utah, during the Winter Olympics there. And uh, I was there with the ministry team, and I'm sharing the gospel with him. He says, you're like a child. He says, when you get the, he says, you don't know enough. If you got the real knowledge, you'd become a Mormon. I'm like, really? You think you know? You have some secret information? He says, oh, yeah, we have secret, yeah. Secret information that only one guy got to see and no one else can replicate it. You see how that strokes the ego. We have secret information. And let me share with you, it's no different when you get into Calvinism. The most arrogant people, you might say, how can that be when Calvinism teaches that we are totally depraved? Well, but here's the deal. You can get saved if you're the elect. See, salvation isn't common. It's not for all men. It's only for some men. It's only for the elect. I'm one of the elect. So do God save me? And one of the things that has always saddened me whenever I walk away from a conversation with a Calvinist is how arrogant they are. And they become Gnostics. We have this secret knowledge. And one day you'll grow up and you'll stop being a baby about your faith in Jesus Christ. And I was like, how can I? God won't make me do that because apparently it's been a lot of years and he still hasn't made me. You see, we all want to hear something that makes us special. And what we're going to find out is that this is Satan's lie to introduce error into the church. All of these people stroked other people's ego, and Paul says, that's what false teachers do. He says, that's why I didn't do that when I came among you. I didn't come in here to stroke you. I just came in here to serve you. I didn't demand anything from you. I didn't have any ulterior motives. I just wanted to teach you the truth so we could have this common salvation. Jude says, listen, all I want to talk about is our common salvation. We all are the same. Here is the half-brother of Jesus. He could have claimed anything. Well, I was born of the same woman that Jesus was born of. Well, whoopie-doo. But no, he recognized that doesn't amount to anything. Paul, he rehearses his credentials. He says, I count those as garbage. That's dung. That's the stuff you burn outside the city. That is not the stuff that I work on and that I hold to in my faith. It's all Jesus Christ. You see, it is absolutely imperative that we understand that salvation is common. It is to be shared with all men, available to all men, and that all who trust him have the exact same chosen salvation. God elected before he began the world that those who would believe would receive an extraordinary salvation. You all have the exact same salvation. Not one more than another or better. You want to grow in the Christian walk? It's available to all of you equally. You have the Spirit within you. You have the Word of God before you. You have His people around you to aid you. And if you wanted to grow in the Lord, every one of you could quickly and and for the balance of your days on earth, continue to grow in the Lord. It is simply, commonly available. You have the same salvation I have. 
It's not whether or not you're special enough. It is matter not whether you want it or not. Yes, it's your wanter that's the problem. Your children have to want Christ. And you can't make them do that. They need to choose. Law will not make you want Christ. You'll start thinking, I, I deserve this. I've earned this. And Paul says that that's a debt. That's not a gift. You're wanting God to pay off a debt to you. Not to receive a gift from God. It's not about having a special gift that you get into the next level of Christianity. You don't need to speak in tongues to figure out and to get closer to God. Absolutely not. It's not for you, any of the gifts. They're for everyone else. So what is it? That's going to get you closer to God. From my study of Scripture, it's standing fast in our faith, growing in our knowledge of Him to reach for unity. Ephesians 4 makes it very clear. Everything we're doing here is not to make us exclusive. It's to make us common. It's not to demonstrate that I know something you don't know. It's so that we can all know the same. It's to make us common. To share the same salvation and then to share it with the world because God died for them as well. There's no exclusivity to the gospel. There's no exclusivity within the church. There's no classification within the church that some are holier than others. Um, you do, we have one salvation. We all share it. We are common, not special. We are unique, but we are common. And that is not a denigration of your salvation, it's an exaltation of it. That we can all share the same. And when we have communion table together, what are we doing? We are declaring we're all taking of the body and blood of our Lord because we have this unity. We have this in common. This is what makes us the body of Christ. Not anything I do, not anything you do, not whether I go to this church or that church, but do I trust in Jesus Christ? And all those that want to interpose something else in there, well, you have to be elect. Well, you have to be, have this information. Well, you have to have this gift. If you can't speak in tongues, you're not, you, you're not really at my level. All that's going on today. Oh, if you don't pronounce Jesus Yeshua, you're not at my level. Shame on us. For destroying the commonality of God's salvation. It is equal. There is no distinction of persons within it. He wants to work through you just as much as he wants to work through me. He wants to bless and use your life and develop you into a godly person just as much as he wants me. There is no distinction. We have a common salvation. And this is going to be Counterbalance. This is not counterbalance. This is going to be opposed to. This is going to be the opposite of what all the false teaching we're going to study in the book of Jude. That he's going to expose. We're going to find that all of it 
pushes against common salvation. We all share the same Lord. And we all come to him the same way. And we all receive the same. God has chosen to give us the same package deal. There is no five class, five star, four star, and three star rated salvations. There are only six stars. Better than the best for all of us. Let's pray. Lord God, we do thank you for so great a salvation that has been made available to all men and that is equally shared among all men, that you do not distinguish between us like we distinguish between ourselves, lineage or of gender, that you love us all and desire us all to walk in your spirit, in righteousness and in your truth. And Lord, forgive us when we allow others to convince us of lies by stroking our ego that somehow we can have something better than what everyone else has by our own merits. Lord, guard us from that. And again, we thank you for that one spirit, that one faith, that one Lord, that one baptism, and one God, the Father of all. In Christ Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. Well, if you'll take your hymn books and close with me. I know I've gone late today. I had a lot of content, and I really didn't get to half of it. Uh, I've been paring it down. Even the last, even this morning, I was trying to, I was looking up verses, trying to pare it down and get it to fewer and fewer. Maybe I should have just taken two or three weeks to do that, but I want to uh, just encourage you to continue study in that. And I know next Sunday we're not going to go into this again because of Easter, so um, we might revisit this a little bit in a couple of weeks.